your dreams are coming true, as long as your dreams center around another episode of the Oklahoma Today podcast, bringing you all the best in Oklahoma. This week, we've got an interview with Daniel Simon with Norman-based World Literature Today, which is celebrating its 400th issue next month. But first, our question of the week, we asked you, what was the first state park you visited? First up, Editor-in-Chief Nathan Gunner. It has to be Red Rock Canyon, which isn't technically a state park anymore, I don't think, but uh, it was by my house where I grew up in Weatherford's. Oh, or Foss. Yeah, it was one of those two because we used to fish at Foss all the time. You know, all those great western Oklahoma state parks. Yeah. How yeah. about you, uh, Car- awesome. Managing Editor Carly Ibarra? Um, I'm actually really glad that you asked this question because it uh, reminded me of a memory that I had forgotten. It was, uh, I went to Roman Nose with my grandparents when I was like, I think I was probably about 12 or 13 years old with my brother. And I remember swimming in that giant pool that they had. Oh, it was so nice. That's a fun, that was fun. That yeah. was a good pool. Mm-hmm. Photo editor, Megan Rossman, how about you? I think the first state park I ever went to was Quartz Mountain, although at the time that I visited, it was not a state park anymore, but now it is again. So it just Lovely comes. new lodge opened up. If you're yeah. looking for somewhere to go in southwestern Oklahoma, Quartz Mountain State Park Lodge. Yes. Very nice. Research editor, Ben Lucian. Well, it would have to be Beaver's Bend for me. I I think I visited when I was just a little young child, and there's this memory. Uh, I don't, uh, but I barely remember it. But my relatives talk about it a lot. Where a, a raccoon uh, came in through the window when no one was looking, and I'm like a four year old child. Oh my god! I'm at the table. And the raccoon, uh, like, takes a, a hot dog or something. <laughs> yeah. And then they see the raccoon on the table, and everyone freaks out. Wow. Yeah. I, I think I, I feel like I should tell our listeners that I don't think that could happen at <laughs> now, just in case anyone's worried. Not at the lodge. Yeah, not at, not at the lodge, which is under construction, but I don't think at the cabins either. Um, like, it was... Uh, all renovated and stuff. It was... Uh, uh, and I, it's kind of cool that it happened a little bit. <laughs> I mean, we can we can check with the uh, the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife uh, hey. about the critters to welcome in. We'll ask Sarah. <laughs> we'll ask Sarah Sutherland what she thinks. What about you, Greg? What was the first state park you ever visited? Much like you, I, I'm not. I don't know if mine was a state. Park to begin with. Uh, when I was a kid, we I think we went to Arcadia Lake, which mm. is I don't think has ever been a state park. I actually think that was a state park. Was at it? One point. Yeah, I feel like it was. I don't know. I seen my memory is telling me that it was, but I don't know. But uh, Arcadia Lake uh, for for current state parks, um, it, you know my my parents are both avid indoorsmen, um, <laughs> and so we did, <laughs> and they raised two 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 boys to uh, really pay attention to what was on television. Um, so it really wasn't until I was working here that I was hitting up mm. state parks very often. And the first one that I remember was uh, Fort Cobb to interview the then Ranger of the Year, Wade Spencer, for the magazine. That was a good story. Um, here is what you guys had to say. Holly Strickler said, uh, I'm sure Boiling Springs, since I grew up in Woodward. We mm. spent a lot of time picnicking, swimming, and hiking there. It's a great park. Uh, Dennis McElmore said, Ten Killer. I was a young boy, so around 60 years ago. Goodness. Wow. Um, 
Kathy Duke uh, said uh, she and her husband also grew up around Fort Supply and Woodward, so they were going to Boiling Springs. Um, Joyce Taylor said Arrowhead, and then to Roman Nose, but it was closed when they when they wanted oh, to go. No. Um, uh, Mary Woodall Cued said we camped at Robbers Cave for several days when I was about eight or nine years old in 1957 or wow. 58. A lot of a uh, lot of classic state park fans on here. <laughs> um, tons and tons of uh, Texoma Roman Nose. Uh, James Hudspeth said the one with the big arrowhead shaped pool, which I would guess is arrowhead. Arrowhead probably. <laughs> Yeah, down there at Lake Eufaula. Um, One of my favorites, though, was uh, somebody, I I don't actually think I have it on here, who said that uh, they went to, they camped in Robber's Cave, and at the time they thought that they were so brave. (laughs) 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 Not realizing that once it's become a state park, probably no robbers. Not as many robbers. Were they robbers? (laughs) That's a good question. Maybe they were the robbers. That's funny. (laughs) All right, let's talk to Daniel Simon with World Literature Today. So we are here with Daniel Simon and Michelle Johnson from World Literature Today. Welcome to both of you. We are so excited. World Literature Today getting ready to release its 400th issue. This is very exciting. Tell us about issue number 400 of WLT. Hi, Greg. Hey, Nathan, listeners. I'm Daniel Simon. I'm the editor-in-chief here at WLT and um, really excited to be here with Michelle Johnson. Michelle, do you want to Uh, introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about your vision for the issue. Sure. Thanks, Daniel. And it's great to meet you, Nathan, and meet you, Greg. Um, My name is Michelle Johnson. I'm the Managing and Culture Editor at World Literature Today. Um, Like Daniel, I've been there for more than a decade. Um, So we've been working on issues together for a long time. Um, On this issue as a group, we were really wanting to take a very deliberate focus um, on visual art. Mm. Um, no, we've always included visual art in our pages. I mean, it's been supplementing and illustrating pieces for years and years and years. But we wanted to focus on visual art and how it and literature feed one another and engage with one another, enrich one another. So we decided to do a special section called Muses and to invite writers and some artists to write and talk about their inspirations. Mm. And it's really part of um, an ongoing expansion where we're trying to include more pages that are culture, but not necessarily confined to literature. Mm. That's what we're trying to do. And you have uh, the most amazing cover. Uh, this just being a podcast, we can't really show it to listeners, but uh, I can't wait for people to see it. It's incredible. Tell us a little bit about your cover. Well, it's by Hall. Oh, go ahead, Daniel. No, I, I'm happy to, to say that it's um, by Holly Wilson, a local artist who is in, based in Mustang and has a really incredible presence here in the state and beyond. She has some shows now and that are opening all over the place. So um, she's a Delaware, a Delaware nation tribal member. And so, um, so I think well, I should double check that. She's Delaware and Cherokee. Cherokee. Mm-hmm. Delaware and Cherokee. Yeah. So our art director, Gail Curry, she's been, she's the newest member of our creative team. And Gail is actually an artist herself and has a studio that she shares in the Paseo and, and has been really active in the Oklahoma Visual Arts Coalition for many years. And, and so she knows a lot of the local artists who are doing really uh, just amazing work. And so we thought of Holly's, she thought of Holly's work as a possibility for the cover early on. And, and we just really zeroed in on this amazing painting called Girl in a Red Dress. And it's 
a masked figure and a lot of Holly's work is about the transformations that masks, uh, masks allow. And so we're really, really just delighted with how it turned out. And, and Gail really deserves a lot of credit as, as does Michelle uh, for their work on this issue and, and making, making this cultural element really come alive. We've, you know, we've done photography issues in recent years and a music issue in 2018. So we you know, Michelle in particular has really taken this cultural angle and expanded it in our pages in a really um, amazing way. And, and Gail has just taken the baton and, and kind of elevated the design and the, the overall aesthetic of WLT to, to another level. For, for our listeners who have maybe seen World Literature Today or, and don't know what it is or who are hearing this phrase for the first time, tell us a little bit about WLT and, and, and what y'all do and, and, and how big it, this is very cool that this is your 400th issue. I'm very excited about this. Well, we're really just based here, here, here at the University of Oklahoma, of course. We've been around for 95 years, so you know, 400 issues is, is a big milestone for us. We're really connected to the teaching mission of the university and have students that we work with on a regular basis. And so we offer courses and internships and opportunities, and a lot of them go on to work for publications uh, out in the world. So we're really excited to see them um, flourish as young editors and writers in their own right. And um, beyond that, we have an international um, platform in terms of our audience. We have over a million readers a year digitally, as well as in the print edition. We're bringing out the magazine six times a year. So it's really just for a, a small staff, a, a an ambitious enterprise to uh, to do this work and connect both locally and at the state level as well as um, internationally with our readers. Absolutely. This is one of the reasons we love you guys so much because we too are a small staff producing a magazine six times a year. Um, but this is really exciting. 400 issues and you're having a party. It's going to be so much fun. Tell us about it because this is open to the public. Everybody should really try to come and be there. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's at, uh, it'll be at Studio 6 in the Paseo on, on May 6th. It's a, it's the first Friday, um, regular kind of happening in the Arts District there. So from 6 to 8 p.m. that evening, uh, folks are welcome to come out. You can get a copy of the issue. Uh, Holly Wilson will be there to talk about her work. Gail will introduce her. Um, you can also check, all, check out all of the other artists that are in the studio and in the, in the district there as well. And, um, have some refreshments and uh, have a good time. We'll we'll have, um, uh, gosh, Carrie Shadid will be there writing poems <laughs> on on the spot as well, oh, and, and we'll have other uh, fun things going on. Some giveaways as well as uh, signed copies of the issue and some other books uh, as well to uh, to entice readers to come by. I love that. I love that. Carrie it really Shadid. is about readers too. I mm-hmm. mean, that's one thing that I, I love about world literature today. And, and uh, we had a story uh, not too long ago about the Newstat prize, but um, it, it's, it, which kind of helped introduce me to it. But I think for, uh, for listeners and people who love to read and who love the written word mm-hmm. and, and maybe feel a little locked out of some of the, the higher literature out there, um, I, I really found World Lit Today to be a, a great entryway, a portal to kind of feeling more connected to uh, to international literature. And, and um, I don't know, I, I, I think probably there's a lot of people who who would not have expected that this was coming out of the University of Oklahoma if they if they didn't know beforehand. 
Um, how do you guys get so many uh, people, uh, writers and, and editors from around the world to, to take part in the magazine? Michelle, you want to talk a little bit about your recruitment and the work you do with fiction and interviews and other pieces? Sure. I mean, we we are always receiving submissions um, and we, Daniel and I both go through different groups of submissions, um, but we also uh, reach out to writers. Um, for instance, Daniel recently reached out to a poet who will uh, guest edit um, the next special section in our July issue. Um, sometimes, like in this issue that we're coming out with for our party, the May the 400th issue, uh, it was a combination of people writing us and saying, hey, you know, would you like to publish this interview or this poem or this essay? And also some direct contact of people who we just think would be, you know, uh, have something that we'd really like to publish right now. So it's a combination. Yeah, I, I just, I love that approach. It's, it's so nice to, it, it, it feels closer, I guess, to me. The world feels closer knowing that it kind of runs through OU and World Literature Day before it comes to me. And and uh, and, and also, I guess, having um, knowing that there are people in this state who are as obsessed with the written word as we are. That is nice. That is nice. So you mentioned this earlier, but I want to talk a little bit more about it. WLT has been around for the better part of a century. So tell us a little bit about how it got started and, and what the original... Uh, what the original sort of mission and, and and feel of it was and how it's changed over the years. I think the original mission came out of the kind of the vision of Royal Roy Temple House. He was the, the founding editor in 1927, and he had worked with refugees and orphans in Belgium and France after World War One. And he thought that the U.S. was becoming too isolated uh, politically in, in the 1920s, even though culturally there was so much happening. So he thought, okay, let's start this journal. It was called Books Abroad at the time. It was 32 pages. So the very first issue came out and it was mainly just um, kind of reviews of, of foreign books. And his idea was to, to help U.S. readers be more connected to what was happening abroad. So, um, so from that founding vision, we've really just kind of focused in on our literary uh, mandate and mission to cover contemporary writers from... Nobel Prize winners all the way down to emerging um, poets and novelists and, and others who uh, you may ne never have heard of. So, um, you know, in every issue, you can really discover some aspect of, of world literature that that um, you, you may not have known about before. And, and so we're just really kind of taking that um, original mission and, and trying to be as responsive to 21st century concerns as we can. And, um, you know, that involves culture as well as a look at so society and politics and uh, in addition to literature in, in the way that the New Yorker would do or the Atlantic in terms of that broader conversation about what's happening uh, among writers and how that fits into um, the bigger picture. And, and translators, oh, go ahead. I'm just going to add that translators are very important in fulfilling the mission and in our recruitment yes. process, kind of circling back around to that. We really appreciate and rely on literary translators. And that is such an extremely specific skill set to be a literary translator, because it's not the same as knowing a language and just transcribing. You have to capture something of the literary essence of the piece while you're translating it. Is that talk a little bit about that challenge, because it's something I legitimately can't imagine trying to do. Well, Daniel is a translator, so I'll, and he has a translation issue, so I'll toss that one back to him. <laughs> Sure. It's, it's really just um, 
being cognizant that the world as it's filtered through the English language is only a partial world. So, um, you know, we really are reaching out to translators to bring us as many voices uh, as possible. And, and so, you know, the work that they do and, you know, in, in, the, in the context of a poem or a short story, it's, it's just incredible because as you say, it's not just a, a word for word, you know, pouring one set of words into another vessel. It's, it's a, it's a much more, um, involved process. That's a really intimate reading of the original. And then the cultural contexts are as important as the linguistic context in, in translation. And so, um, it's, it's really just kind of indispensable for us to, to rely on translators to, to bring that broader vision of the world, uh, to our readership. It's amazing work. I, I, it's so hard. I can't imagine. It's so cool. Um, and Greg mentioned this earlier, but I want to talk a little bit more about it because I feel like Oklahomans definitely need to know more about the fact that you guys give the Newstat Prize, which is essentially like, I mean, kind of like an American Nobel in literature. I mean, it's a big deal and it comes out of, it comes out of OU, it comes out of Norman. So talk a little bit about that prize and who some of the winners have been um, and about that process a little bit. So you want to talk about the latest jury process and our current winner coming up uh, in fall 2022? Yes, we do. Have, we have a process where we invite a jury of about nine people and um, it's usually about, yeah, about nine. And they each nominate whomever they want to nominate. It's completely their choice. Who do they want to choose as their finalist? And then the jury deliberates and chooses the winner from those from among those finalists. And so this past time around, Jennifer Croft, who you may have heard of, she's a fantastic translator who's won the uh, Booker International Prize, along with the writer Olga Tokarczuk. And they're right now they're on the short list to possibly win again. Um, she nominated Boris Bubakar Diop. Did I get his name right, Daniel? Yeah, okay. that's right. Yeah. Not sure about my pronunciation. Um, but she nominated him and he ended up emerging as the winner. So they will both come back this fall and he will receive the prize. And that's every other year. And in the in-between years, uh, we facilitate the NSK Newstat Prize for Children's and Young Adult Literature, which is a prize formed by the daughters of the Newstats. And it recognizes an outstanding, it's, it's younger than the Newstead Award, but we've had it now for several years. And it recognizes a children's or young adult author. So that jury will be deliberating here in several months and we'll have our next winner of that prize. What are those deliberations like? Do they get heated? Is there drama? Yeah. By and large, I mean, they're very- um, Literary drama. Yeah, they're very, they're actually, uh, I would say, very civil. And, um, you know, everyone in the jury wants to work toward uh, a, just a, a good decision. And of course, all the finalists are always all qualified. So, yeah, I would say most of the drama comes from the actual voting process when, you know, once they've had these really cordial conversations about the merits of the various candidates and, you know, oh, it's time to recognize a poet from Poland or, you know, a, a novelist from El Salvador or whatever. But then when it comes down to voting, um, we have ties inevitably. And so there, we have a tiebreaker rule, but oftentimes the juror, jurors will, if there's a tie, they will go back and discuss some more. Like, okay, we're down to three candidates. 
what are we trying to represent here in terms of putting a, a stamp on world literature in, sure. in 2022? And so with the Senegalese writer, uh, Diop, who's coming here in the fall, uh, they just really felt like he deserved to be more broadly known in the, in the West. He's, he's been translated, he writes in French and he's been translated into English a fair amount, but um, it's not really a, a household name. Mm. So the jury just decided that this was his year to be brought forward and to, uh, to really expand the map of, of world lit. That's amazing. That's amazing. I feel like I would be remiss uh, as someone who loves the written word, not to ask the two of you what you've been reading lately and what's got you excited in the literary world these days. Uh, so much. That's tough to narrow down, isn't it, Daniel? It is. Yeah. I, I tend to read just a lot for work, uh, work related purposes, but I've, I've been recently reading the um, autobiography of Doris Day, the Catholic oh. social activist. Um, so for, um, for, you know, it was part of a book club that I uh, was, that I really enjoyed. And That's then awesome. been one of my, some. one of my really good friends named her daughter after Dorothy Day. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 She so. named her after Flannery O'Connor and Dorothy Day. So her daughter's name is Flannery Day. Oh, that's awesome. The great name. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. yeah that's cool. Yeah. Late, lately, I've been rereading uh, Rilke, I would say. Is, oh, yeah. You know, kind of a, one of the legendary modern poets. Totally. Yeah. What about you, Michelle? Well, uh, on my last trip to the bookstore, I picked up this book. This is sitting here on my next oh, up. Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel. I loved Station yeah. Eleven. Loved. Yeah. Station oh, Eleven. So I watched much. the series, but I haven't. Yeah. I haven't read it. That was great. It was a great book. It was, I haven't seen the series, but the book was incredible. So Emily St. John Mandel, great writer. Great, great, great writer. Yeah. I'm so glad. That's very cool. Next. Thank you both so much for being on the podcast. Um, listeners, you must make it to the Paseo, to Studio 6, 3021 Paseo in Oklahoma City, 6 p.m. on Friday, May 6th for the release party of World Literature Today's 400th issue, Muses, with a beautiful cover by Holly Wilson. Um, thank you both so much for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate it. We are really looking forward to May 6th. That's going to be awesome. Thank you. Nice to meet you both. Thanks, Thank guys. You. We'll see you there. That's going to be fun. That's going to be really yeah. cool. What do we have for events this time? Oh, let's see. So well, many good ones. It is time to once again plumb the depths of TravelOK.com's calendars for our weekly pod events. And first up this week is Ben. Fear not. My event this week just happens to be a reunion, but just because the official gathering every five years in Roger Mills County to celebrate the 1892 land run opening of the Cheyenne Arapaho Reservation is called a reunion, does not mean your Uncle Larry is going to be there to talk to you for an uncomfortable amount of hours about his passion for vintage model train sets. Unless Uncle Larry also happens to be a big fan of land runs, then by all means, let him attend. There will be a whole week's worth of distractions at the Cheyenne and Arapaho Old Settlers Reunion in Cheyenne to keep him and the endless album of train photos on his iPhone 6 far away from you. Such happenings during the festival scheduled from now through Saturday include a Tuesday night talent show, a Wednesday night gospel choir performance, a Thursday night show, and uh, a, a Thursday night style show, and whiskers contest. I don't plan on shaving all week, so good luck on winning that one. Uh, a recreation of a historic tent city will pop up on Friday morning. The party really kicks off on the weekend 
with a PRCA rodeo and rodeo dance featuring Lyle Parman and the Slide Bar Band, an arts and craft show, and best of all, free barbecue. There is also a nine-mile run scheduled, but I'm not sure if it's meant for health or to keep far away from Uncle Larry. (laughs) Just kidding. Reunions are supposed to be a time where we come together. Love him or hate him, Uncle Larry is here to see us. So for one week in western Oklahoma, maybe I can tolerate Larry's locomotives. The free barbecue certainly won't hurt. For more information, call 580-821-6223 or find their event page on Facebook. I heard free barbecue, and then I heard Nine Mile Run, and then I heard my stomach. (laughs) Oh, I want barbecue. Scream in terror. (laughs) That does sound like fun, though. Poor Uncle Larry. Uh, Megan, what's your event this week? Well, if there is one thing that humans have in common, it is a need for graves. Whether, (laughs) yeah, it's true. Wherever you go on this earth, you will find them, whether they're in ancient tombs or just down the street from your local Walmart. So while we're alive, we might as well learn a little bit more about these hot spots for human remains. Just as the sun sets daily over our land, so does the spark of life fizzle into darkness. And the Western Plains Weatherford Genealogical Society is here to guide the way with its Sunset Cemetery tour happening on April 18th. Guests will enjoy a guided, narrated tour among their fellow former citizens of the Plains and learn a good deal about some of Clinton's past and people. For more information, call 405-229-8495. You know, my favorite cemetery is in Oklahoma is that one you pass on the way to the air to drop somebody off at the airport, which oh. is named after someone who died in a plane crash. <laughs> <laughs> on to our airport named after someone who died in a plane exactly crash. yeah yeah but not or to be you, not to be confused with our other airport where it's also named, named after someone who died, who died in the same plane crash, crash. <laughs> yeah <laughs> we didn't even need two plane crashes to get the names of two <laughs> no. airports in this town <laughs> wow uh, Nathan what's your event this All right, week I listen uh, Jesus and musical theater fans forgive me This is the very model of a modern podcast calendar telling you about events you can go to both near and far. Give Garvin County Choral Society the chance to entertain and they will make a lovely show that's sure to pleasure your brain. They present Pirates of Penzance this Tuesday, April the 19th at First Christian Church in Edmond. It's all just right there on 2nd Street. Then in Paul's Valley this coming Sunday, April 24th that one is at Paul's Valley High School Auditorium. Paul's Valley High School Auditorium, Pulse Valley High School Auditorium, Pulse Valley High School Auditorium. You will be so happy that you have left your home for tickets, GarvinCountySings.Weebly.com. 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 Did any of that make sense? Very <laughs> nice. <laughs> that took a really long time to write, and I had to use a rhyming dictionary. It was really hard. So I'm really sorry about how bad it was. But please appreciate the effort. Thank you. Wonderful. Oh man. Turns out I don't have I don't have a falsetto. I literally just found that out. Carly. Oh man, now I have to go. I know. <laughs> 
with the price of food, gas, and other basic necessities on the rise, it's more important than ever to be frugal. Just a cursory online search shows you can find all sorts of tips for saving. Bring your lunch instead of eating out. Buy generic instead of brand names at the store. Check out books, music, or movies from the library instead of purchasing them, etc. But I've got one trick that won't show up on any of these lists. Attend Team OKC Champagne and Oysters on April 21st at the Devon Boathouse. While the $50 ticket might make some cheapskates eyes pop out cartoon style, just hear me out. If you eat as many oysters, which are flown in fresh from Washington State, and drink as much champagne as you physically can, it's a much better deal than you'll find at any fine seafood restaurant. And you probably won't want to eat for a few days afterwards, so you save even more. Also, that $50 helps benefit U.S. rowing national high-performance athletes, so it's a win for everyone, except perhaps those with a shellfish allergy. Visit riversportokc.org slash events slash team OKC to buy tickets. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think Just we go should. and eat lots and lots of oysters we and drink as much. Drink your body, body weight in champagne. <laughs> and you will feel so good the next day. I'm going to tell you right now, that is what I want to do right before Pirates of Penzance. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> All right. What's your event, Greg? What do you got for us? Well, the largest group of crystals I've ever personally collected was in 1989 when I had four girls named Crystal in my fifth grade class. But if you'd like to break my record, consider the much easier and more enjoyable option of visiting the Salt Plains National Wildlife Refuge near Jet during the annual Birding and Crystal Festival on April 22nd and 23rd. Unlike fifth grade, this event will be fun for the whole family and hopefully will not, <laughs> not end up with me getting a wedgie in front of the girls I like. Enjoy guiding bird watching tours selenite crystal digging contests, and a free family-friendly movie Friday night. Don't forget to head to nearby Salt Plains State Park for outdoor activities and demonstrations. Call 580-626-4794 or visit fws.gov slash refuge slash salt dash plains for more information. So can I make a, a recommendation? You because can. you gave it, well, in our new issue that's coming out mm -hmm. soon. Uh, that should be to subscribers this week. There is a, a story that you wrote, sir, about patio dining. And one of the very best patios in the state is right up there by where that event takes place. That's right. Yeah. Which one? You'll have to get the issue to oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to sell magazines here, Carly. <laughs> well, the sound of bird watchers silently marking the endangered interior least turn off their list means the Oklahoma Today <laughs> podcast is coming to a close. Join us again next week, or if you can't get enough, head to oklahomatoday.com and pick up our latest issue on newsstands right now. Send feedback to OKTPod at travelok.com, and we'll talk to you again next week. The Oklahoma Today podcast is a production of Oklahoma Today magazine and the Oklahoma Tourism and Recreation Department. Your hosts are Oklahoma Today. Today editors Nathan Gunner, Greg Elwell, Carly Ibarra, Megan Rossman, and Ben Lucian. Theme song editing and production help by Oklahoma Today's production manager, Bridget Sloan. For more information, visit oklahomatoday.com. Goodbye.